Just feel, just feel there's something in, in the atmosphere today, isn't there? God wants to take you to a different level. And I know we're always saying that here in one, on one level. <laughs> um, but on another, yes, we are. And when Gary sort of said, you know, is it Bogota? Where's Gary? Is it Bogota, South, South, South America? You know, 20,000 people. I thought, yes, come on, in our generation. I mean, in my generation, I didn't, ex- well, we were, I did, we didn't expect. Um, we wanted a place like this. We wanted it filled. Now we're getting so many people have to have two services. That's another step. And so you see gaps at the moment. We want to keep filling it. And uh, we want to see God doing that, don't we? And I'm due to, uh, I'm carrying on on a, a series about wisdom. And I sat there and thought, well, what's wisdom got to do with the ostrich and you know, taking off and that sort of thing. But that's partly to do with our perception of wisdom, isn't it? Wisdom very often is associated with caution. Right? Let's be wise. Let's do some big thing. Yeah, but let's be wise. Let's really take off in God. Yes, but let's be wise. <laughs> you know, you sit in a meeting and there's always a wise person who's kind of putting a damper on everything. Well, that's one perception of wisdom, isn't it? But actually, when if you follow the last two things that I've done around it, you realize wisdom is a very powerful thing. In fact, a very supernatural thing. In fact, there isn't any wisdom from God without it being supernatural. You can, if you've been around this church for a little while, you'll know we are redeeming this world, this word, supernatural. Um, I still, still find it really deeply curious that you come across people who believe in God with a capital G, but struggle with the supernatural. How does that work? What is God? <laughs> who is God? What does he do? Decided to have a universe one day. Created billions and billions of stars. Whoa. Naturally. Well, for God, that is natural. In God's scheme of things, there isn't a natural and a supernatural, is there? It's just things he does. Here's things he does. It's just that in our thinking, we've kind of divorced the two between natural and supernatural. So I want you to get hold of the idea. So we've been looking at wisdom as something that comes supernaturally. This is a supernatural book. This is my big black Bible, preacher's Bible. Right, so it's got, uh, it's got Jesus' words in red. It's very important. <laughs> and uh, and uh, before I got glasses, I decided to have large print as well, and then realized once I got glasses, I didn't really need large print. But um, there you go. That's another thing. It's a supernatural book, isn't it? When we open it, we expect God to speak to us. Amen? Anybody open their Bible today? Nobody. Right. <laughs> yeah, David, we're at the nine o'clock service. How can you expect us to read our Bible before we got out? We've got to get our breakfast, get dressed, get the kids in the car. Okay, we'll let you off. <laughs> get those kids to grow, and then you can read your Bible again. No. <laughs> there are different seasons. Actually, that's wisdom. Not that you don't read your Bible. Um, <laughs> wisdom is recognizing the season that you're in. Okay, ah, just want you to feel relaxed again. 
you're all worried about you haven't read your Bibles now. Just relax. It's just a season. Amen. <laughs> a breakfast season. Uh, but it's a season. Um, okay, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I do miss the rustle of the Bible. The phone and the tablet, it's not the same, is it? So I said in the school, uh, anybody got a real Bible? <laughs> so obviously, um, you can have a real Bible, wherever it is. Um, I want to recommend a book before we get into this. It's by uh, R.T. Kendall, In Pursuit of His Wisdom. And it's dedicated to a couple called, and I'll just find the page where their name is, not that I need to, but it's, uh, it's in here. It's dedicated to Judith and Victor. Judith and Victor, take a bow. I can't remember. In the, in the preface, I think, or the introduction, one of you, was it you, Victor? Or was it Judith? Actually went to R.T. Kendall, because they were members of his church, and said, you need to write a book about wisdom. Now, you preached a lot about it. Well, here it is. That's great, isn't it? Just wanted to get a little plug in with them. Okay, let's, uh, let's read 1 Corinthians 2 from verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed to us by his spirit, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received, just read that again. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Just say with me, we have the mind of Christ. Put your hand on your head. That's where your mind is, in case you weren't sure. Uh, We have the mind of Christ. Or I, probably more appropriate, I have the mind of Christ. And verse 3, sorry, chapter 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready. 
Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Say with me again, I have the mind of Christ. Say this one, I am a mere man or woman. <laughs> Had to give you that. I was halfway through that. I better give them a choice here. All right. And if you're not sure of your gender, see me afterwards. And uh, <coughs> I'll see David. He's a doctor. And uh, that's all right. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a strange thing going on in Corinth, isn't there? I don't know if you spotted it. You, you probably need to read chapter, all of chapter 1 and 3, 4 and 5 to start getting as a strange thing happening in Corinth. I find Corinth a really encouraging place, don't you? Would you have liked to have been a member of the church in Corinth? Not too sure, are we? <laughs> Not too sure. There was a lot going on. I mean, you could probably get 10 prophecies every week. You could probably get your body healed. But you might decide you were going to see the Paul group rather than the Apollos group or the Cephas group or the Christ group. Because they probably sit in different places in the church. They were, on the one hand, they were divided. And yet Paul can also say they are divine. They're divine, but divided. He starts his letter by saying, this is the church of God. Or in America, they'd say, this is the church of God. It's almost Billy Graham, almost. That's not just a convenient introduction to the letter. This is Paul saying, you are divine. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are not a mere man, actually. You are, you are a spiritual being. You have God, the supernatural, powerful God, who released all the stars into the universe. He lives in you. And yet he's also saying that they're mere men. Why? Because they're divided. Some of them are into a Paul party. Some of them are in a Paul party, a Peter party, a pity party, and all sorts of other parties. They're divided. So what's going on? Well, it gets worse than that. They are sanctified, and yet they're sexually immoral. Sanctified, made holy, perfect, the holy, holy God, for whom in the Old Testament not only one man could go into the Holy Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement in order to make atonement for the sins of the nation. That's holiness. And Paul is saying, you are holy. The curtain has been opened. You can enter into the Holy of Holies. You are righteous in Christ. You are holy. But you are sexually immoral. How does that work? How can I be sanctified and sexually immoral? Hallelujah. I can do both, obviously. Uh, no. <laughs> Just in case you're worried there, you're slipping into heresy. <clears throat> They're divine and divided. They're sanctified and sexually immoral. They also have the mind of Christ, and yet they're mere infants. Did you catch that at the end of, beginning of chapter 3? You are mere infants. Hang on a minute. You wouldn't say that to Christ, and I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. 
Yeah, but you're just a kid. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I, I, I have the money. What's going on here? Divine and yet divided, sanctified yet sexually immoral, the mind of Christ and yet they're mere infants. Well, there's more. <laughs> they're wise, but they're not wise. They have all sorts of wisdom, Paul says in the opening of his letter. You need to study it really to, to get to really get the force of this. You have all knowledge and every spiritual gift. God's enriched you with everything. Hallelujah. But you're not acting wisely. How does that work? And I think there's one more. Oh, yes. You are discerning, but disputing. You are going to judge the whole world. In fact, that says, says it later in the letter. But even in this passage, it says the spiritual man. Who's the spiritual man? They're all spiritual men and women. They have the Holy Spirit. He's not saying some of you are spiritual and, and others not. You have the Spirit, even if you're not working according to the Spirit. You still, he's still there. The spiritual man makes judgments about what? Small things, little matters. No, all things. What does all things mean? I'd be interested to know that in the Greek, the word all means all. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hang on a minute. So we, a spiritual man with the Holy Spirit, can judge about all things, and yet some of you are taking each other to court. You should have this great spiritual discernment, and yet you can't discern enough to know that it's not a good idea to take your brother to court and kind of ruin the witness, your own personal witness, and let alone the witness of the church. So... They are divine but divided. They have the mind of Christ but they're mere infants. They're wise but they're not wise. They're sanctified but sexually immoral. They're discerning but disputing. What a mess. What does Paul, what, what is Paul getting at? Well, he's getting at all the things, obviously, that are going wrong. But he equally, and this is the genius of Paul, isn't it? And the genius of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is able to tell you who you actually are, almost regardless, almost regardless of what you're doing. Has what you're doing, even when it's bad, changed who you are? Actually, it seems like Paul, unless you believe he's totally being totally ironic, but he can't make these state statements. They're so emphatic, right? You will, you will, in uh, chapter six, it says, you will judge the world. You will even judge angels. That's them in Corinth and that's you as well. I am going to judge angels. I am going to judge the whole world. It's terribly arrogant being a Christian, isn't it? You find that? <laughs> well, there should be a temptation towards arrogance. Our problem is we spent so long not really believing what God says about us that we're just getting used to what God really says about us. 
that he really does believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. And actually, he has made us this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this chosen people who will judge the world, who will judge angels. And so Paul is writing in the light of that and saying, why, therefore, are you taking your brothers and sisters to court? If you have this judgment, if you have this discernment, if you have this ability to judge So clearly you've got this mismatch, but Paul hasn't given up on them for one moment, has he? Praise God he didn't give up on Corinth. Praise God that that God doesn't give up on churches. And Paul is saying, okay, effectively, this is what who you are, and your behavior doesn't match up to that. What do you do? Well, you become more of who you are. And you don't have to do that by... Lots of good works to make up for your bad stuff. You just accept who you are and then start living accordingly. That's dangerous, isn't it? The gospel is dangerous. It's easily misunderstood. As Paul writes in Romans, some of you are saying, if grace abounds, let sin abound more. Because the more I sin, the more I'll have grace. Same thought. Here's Paul, the same Paul, saying, you are divine, you are sanctified, you are discerning, you're amazing people, so stop doing those things. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What's the temple of the Holy Spirit doing? Acting immorally in the sexual area of their lives. Well, of course, it's wrong. It's a contradiction. So come back into, don't don't stop living in the contradiction, come back into all that God has for you and all that you are. Okay? Now, the next 10 minutes, I'm going to give you three practical applications of that truth. How do you increase in wisdom? How do you live out of the good of who you are and how do you do that wisely? If you look at, uh, turn with me to, I'll go back to that chapter, chapter 3. First point is this, and this is what the Corinthians needed to get hold of. And it's a kind of simple one. Actually, all three begin with P. The first one's passion. What does Paul say? He's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, no eye has seen, this is verse 9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for who? Those who love him. So if you want to grow in wisdom, well, let's, let's finish the, the other bit. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. He is revealing his wisdom to you by his spirit, to those who love him. Now, love and wisdom don't often get lumped together, do they, in our thinking? I love, and I'm wise. I love, and I'm wise. When I'm wise, I'm not loving. (laughs) And scripturally, they should be right there, shouldn't they? Because where does wisdom come from? The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. Not fear in a fearful way. The awesome uh, divine respect or respect for the divine. You know, when you love God, God releases wisdom. Actually, to love God is wise. Isn't it? The first priority of your life, the wisest thing you can do is to love God. How many wise people we are, do we have in the room? Just raise your hand if you're wise. 
you're so wise. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are so wise. Not wise in the world's sense of that, and the rest of that chapter is saying it. Where is the wise man? Where is the philosopher? You know, the gospel is foolishness to the Greeks, who are very wise in a worldly way. And it's a stumbling block to the Jews. But it is the wisdom of God for those who believe. It's the release of the Holy Spirit into your life. So not only are you wise, you're going to get wiser. Turn to the person next to you and say, and you're going to get wiser. And the secret to that is just to love God. Because he's the source of all your wisdom. Anybody remember, get, did you ever go into your classroom and say, I love you to your teacher? Not many of us, do we? <laughs> you know, I look back at some of my teachers and I could probably think, I did love that. You know, they were so good. They did such a good job. I, you know, I've got something in my heart towards them. But it never occurred to me at school. It's a problem with our education system that we don't love our teachers. <laughs> they never encourage us to love. Well, they hardly ever encourage us, probably, if, if your school experience is anything like mine. <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> you know, if you're a good teacher, you're a strict teacher. Whoa. And you're behind the desk. I mean, that's a bit of a caricature. And, and you know, if you're, if you're a teacher here and you're not like that, that's fine. That's great. But we divorce love and wisdom. We've divorced love and education. And we need to bring them back together. Who's the greatest, wisest teacher who ever walked the earth? Yes, the answer is Jesus. <laughs> Who's the most loving person who ever walked the earth? Jesus. There you have it. One greater than Solomon is here. Jesus said that about himself. Jesus was never afraid to declare who he was, was he? You notice that? There's another one. One greater than Solomon is here. And he is living in you. Whoa. So you are progressively becoming more and more wise. And that wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has written a book so that you can get wiser. But also in that book, he has given you words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment, dreams, visions, and all kinds of things in order to make you wise. So please come into the school of the Holy Spirit if you're not there already. Many of you, I know, are there. And keep coming every day. Wisdom says, wait at my doors every day because I want to pour revelation into you. Just by sitting here in this church, you will get wiser. Nothing to do with the seats particularly. But there's a release of God's Spirit here in this church to make you wiser. Some of you don't look terribly convinced. Are you getting wiser? Anybody received any revelation this morning? Good. Two or three of you, I'll keep going. Right. <laughs> Be passionate. Here's another one. They're all beginning with P because I'm on a kind of P preacher thing. That's, uh, we, we preachers love alliteration, so here's, and they're easy to remember. Be pure. Be pure. That's what Paul is saying to the uh, Corinthians, isn't he? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so live in a pure way. Live up to who you are. Um, it's always intrigued me that there are three chapters in the book of Proverbs, all 
primarily to do with purity around the area of sexual immorality. Let me just read you in the Passion Version. We haven't got time to read all of it, but here's chapter 5. You'll find the second half of chapter 6 is on the same theme, and the whole of chapter 7 is on that theme as well. So if you want some racy reading, rush home this afternoon and read Proverbs 5 to 7. Listen to me, my son, for I know what I'm talking about. Listen carefully to my advice so that wisdom and discernment will enter your heart. (sighs) Come on, wisdom and discernment enter my heart right now. You ready? And then the words you speak will express what you've learnt. Remember this. The lips of a seductress seem sweet like honey. And her smooth words are like music in your ears. But I promise you this. In the end, all you'll be left with is a bitter conscience. For the sting of your sin will pierce your soul like a sword. She will ruin your life, drag you down to death, and lead you straight to hell. She has prevented many from considering the paths of life. Yes, she will take you with her where you don't want to go, sliding down a slippery road, and not even realizing where the two of you will end up. Listen to me, young men, and by implication I would say young women, and old men, and old women. (laughs) That's not in a footnote, that's just me. Um, Listen to me, young men, and don't forget this one thing I'm telling you. Run away from her as fast as you can. Don't even go near the door of her house unless you want to fall into her seduction. In disgrace, you will relinquish your honor to another, and all your remaining years will be squandered, given over to the cruel one. Why would you let strangers take away your strength while the labors of your house go to someone else? And when you grow old, you will groan in anguish and shame as sexually transmitted diseases consume your body. And then finally, you'll admit that you were wrong and say, if only I'd listened to wisdom's voice and not stubbornly demanded my own way because my heart hated to be told what to do. Why didn't I take seriously the warning of my wise counselors? Why was I so stupid to think that I could get away with it? Now I'm totally disgraced and my life is ruined. I'm paying the price for the people of the congregation are now my judges. My son, share your love with your wife alone. Drink from her well of pleasure and from no other. Why would you have sex with a stranger or with anyone other than her? Reserve this pleasure for you and her alone and not for another. Your sex life will be blessed as you take joy and pleasure in the wife of your youth. Let her breasts be your satisfaction and let her embrace intoxicate you at all times. Be continually delighted and ravished with her love. My son, why would you be exhilarated by an adulteress by embracing a woman who is not yours? For God sees everything you do and his eyes are wide open and he observes every single habit you have. Beware that your sins don't overtake you and the scars of your own conscience become the ropes that tie you up. Those who choose wickedness die for lack of self-control, for their foolish ways lead them astray, carrying them away as hostages, kidnapped captives, robbed of destiny. Don't want to go there, do you? I don't want to go there. 
the first half of the chapter, that is. I love the second half, or the bit before the end. See the contrast between what sin does for you, but the delight that there is in a godly relationship. See that contrast. If you want to be wise, be passionate, be pure. Right? It's not something you can particularly learn out of books, wisdom, although you can. But actually, and especially in our world today, simply to follow Christian morality. And even when, it, even when I say those words, they don't sound strong enough, do they? <laughs> like, and full enough. But to delight in what God leads you, whether you're single or married, is so much wiser. You will save yourself so much anxiety, angst. Anger, if you live wisely in that whole area of your life. And I would just appeal to you. You'll notice, if you go, go through chapter 7. Chapter 7 is about a man who wanders, you know, gets into a relationship, is seduced by an adulteress. And it's full of imagery. It's full of, you can almost smell some of the, the verses. And it's so true about the way sexual temptation works that it convinces you that what's wrong is right. That what's wrong is good and what's right is just plain dull. And actually those proverbs turn that on its head and say what's right is a delight and what's wrong is wretched. Really is. So be wise. Be passionate. Be pure. And then finally, be patient. And we could say a lot about that. And patience isn't a virtue that many people talk about these days, isn't it? But actually, because we live in such a kind of instant society, open your laptop, open your iPad, you know, you've got the whole world in front of you. But patience is, is uh, you know, wisdom is about being patient very often, knowing the seasons that you're in. So I just want to share with you briefly, and we'll finish, you're a season that we're in as a church at the moment that you can kind of slot into, but you can extrapolate the lesson out from here to other areas of your life. So Vicki Schultz had a, felt God was speaking to her through Exodus 14 verse 13. You can look it up later. Exodus 14 verse 13 about how the people of Israel were just paused on the banks of the Red Sea. The Egyptians were coming towards them. The pillar of cloud was between them and the Egyptians, protecting them, and the Red Sea was, a, is, was in front of them. And um, actually, we will find that verse. And then Moses says this to the people. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. There it is. Be still, be patient. And there are several things that have happened in our church recently. One has been some of the frustration around not appointing a head teacher for Hope Community School. Uh, the other has been our encounter lounge, which we've kind of lost and we're still looking for somewhere else. The other, you could say, our annex. We had tenders in for our annex and none of them were kind of, uh, you know, up to the, what we wanted. So we've had to retend or we'll be retendering, you know, in the new year. Where are we? Feels like we are, you know, we've come this far and yet we have 
amazing things happening, opening up before us. There's a kind of Red Sea, represented probably by all sorts of things, but particularly at this moment, the school, Encounter Lounge, the Annex. What's God saying to us? Be still and know I am God. Be still and I will deliver you. There will be moments in our church history where often we've said things like, we haven't got this, we haven't got that, we haven't got the other, but we have got God. And wisdom would say, that's actually what you need. That's actually all that you need. Be still and know that I am God. Amen? Would you like to stand with me, please? Father, thank you for where we are in our lives at the moment. Thank you that sometimes we go through seasons where we just have to stand and see the deliverance of God. And Father, who would have known, how many Israelites would have guessed that you were about to open up the Red Sea before them and crush their enemies under their feet? So, Father, we're, we're saying, Lord, we want to be wise. We want to be wise in our passion for you our purity, and our patience. And so, Father, we just want to stand and see you deliver all that you have for us. Thank you, Father. I felt before I came today that I'll just share a quick picture with you. I can see somebody kind of knotted up. It's almost like there's this very thick rope and it's kind of, you know, got its strands kind of round your head and you're kind of locked into a problem like that. You'll, you'll know what I, what, what I mean by that. And then I saw the picture changing and there was another long rope just behind and you come out of the knotted area and knotted can mean confused emotionally, mentally, etc. And you come up to the rope and, you, and the rope is just very clear. You just walk up, you know, pull yourself up the rope and it's like you come up t- into a hole in the ground. You've actually been below in the darkness and you come up through the hole and you're just standing on, on the top and you're kind of looking around and suddenly the, you know, it's like your life clears, your mind clears, your emotion clears. God brings you through. And I think God's got that as a, as a promise for some of you this morning. And then I just had that, uh, David and I were talking earlier and about, um, the, the number 63. And then after our conversation, you know, the, it, God just seemed to be on the number 63. I don't know why. So if 63 is something that means something to you, um, I think it may mean, uh, and this is simple mouse, isn't it? Three plus three equals six. God's going to double something. And going further on to your life, God wants to multiply something in your life. So if that, that's a word that you uh, want to respond to, then come respond to you. But I'll hand you back to David. Thanks, David. Can we just share our thanks?